season of VMP Anthology. I'm your host, Torre. In this episode, we cover the second set of records in your box, Headhunters and Live Under the Sky. These albums celebrate Herbie's landmark move into funk and his team up with other jazz legends for the supergroup VSOP. In the first segment of this podcast, we hear Herbie talk about Headhunters and how it became an unlikely hit and trying the album out in dance clubs before it was released. Then we get Robert Glasper and Corinne Bailey Ray's impressions of the album before Herbie talks briefly about Live Under the Sky and what he remembers most from those shows. Here's Herbie. When we recorded Headhunters, I remember that everybody, pretty much everybody in the band, pitched in on either rhythmic elements or melodic elements, bass line, you know, um, <laughs> every, everybody was on it. Everybody was on it. And, and uh, everybody was into it. That was the main thing. And we had no idea whatsoever as to whether the public was gonna go for this this thing or not, and we weren't we weren't even thinking about that. We were we were having fun, and and we were trying to make the thing funky, and we were trying to make it. Um, generally, the direction was primarily mine that I wanted it to move from something that was really funky to something that was a little more orchestral and then back again into something funky at the end, you know? So that it, it's like the comedian changing its its spots or its colors, you know? <laughs> uh, that was for that, that song. Um, and as far as the rest of the tunes were concerned, uh, again, uh, input from from everybody in the band, but the uh, the idea of doing uh, Watermelon Man again, the basic idea came from Harvey Mason, and he he said he thought of the, the idea while he was in the shower, <laughs> and so he sang it to me uh, with this kind of new spirit. And and um, uh, we we put it together in the studio. Oh, and then there was uh, Sly. Um, that was a pretty pretty fast, you know, moving piece. It, it was kind of a dedication to Sly Stone. Uh, not that it sounded like Sly Stone. That wasn't it. But but uh, Sly was a uh, one of the people responsible for me, for me even contemplating going into a, a more funk style because I hadn't quite done it like that on any other record. You 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 get the the spirit of it of it. It's it was really a bunch of 
musicians excited about putting a kind of a different spin on jazz, a different spin on, you know, mixing genres. The idea of, of kind of jazz rock was already out there with Weather Report, but I hadn't heard anybody do kind of funk jazz quite like uh, the Headhunters record. And uh, Paul Jackson on bass, amazing musician. He originally was an upright jazz bass player from what Mike Clark told me. And Mike Clark and, and Paul Jackson were childhood friends. And what Mike told me was that when Paul first picked up the electric bass, uh, I don't remember now what the story of the circumstances of him, you know, playing the electric bass for the first time, whether there was no other bass and he wanted to play or something. So he, anyway, uh, uh, maybe it was a jam session. But when he when he played it, he played it, according to Mike, with that style that was already developed in him. And it didn't sound like any other electric bass players. It was totally his approach. That's very hard to describe. It's funky, but at the same time, melodic. Everybody in that band wanted to stretch that kind of funk element further than it had been stretched before. After we recorded the Headhunters record, we wanted to kind of try it out at at a, a like a small like neighborhood type dance club where they had you know live music, young people at the time because this was 1973. I was uh, 33 years old, and <laughs> I mean to me now that's a that's a young age, but. But at the time, I was, I was thinking, okay, I'm 33, but I'm not 18. <laughs> I'm not college age anymore, right? And I, 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 I didn't associate myself with having the taste of someone who was 16 or 17 or 18 years old. So anyway. We got a gig for pennies, practically, <laughs> playing at a club in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I don't remember the name of the club, but they had a young audience, a mixed audience. And when we started playing, they went crazy. They loved it. <laughs> and... and we were shocked at the response. We we played there, I think, either two or three nights, and, and probably over a weekend. And and again, we were amazed at the at the fantastic response that we got. And then we put the record out. I didn't I I didn't know what it was like to have a hit record like that. And even when I did some concert touring in, in larger venues, um, 
I had no idea that I remember once we we played opposite Santana in I think it was Philadelphia and my manager David Rubinson was with me and he was also you know big friend of Santana's and and uh, he actually introduced me to Santana because uh, David I think was yeah he was Santana's record producer too so from backstage, I looked out at the audience. The place was packed. And I said, wow, Santana really packs them in, right? He draws a huge audience. David Rubinson, who was my manager and record producer, said, no. <laughs> it was the head on his band that drew this audience. And that stunned me. I, I still couldn't believe it. Like, how could I be drawing the audience even when I'm playing? I was at Santana. By the way, Santana is one of my dearest friends now. He may not even remember th this particular time, but I, I, I do. It's, it's etched in my, in my memory. So, again, I was uh, <laughs> just... I, 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 it was, uh, I was in a state of disbelief. Let's say it that way. Robert Glasper. Headhunters, that was the first, excuse my language, fuck y'all record. <laughs> because, I mean, I talked to a few members of her Headhunters about, about I was always interested, because um, I, I, have, I have a band called the Robert Glasper Experiment, and we, you know, I'm very much influenced by Headhunters. And, you know, we're doing a lot of jazz stuff, but it's, you know, mixed with hip-hop stuff, with Rhodes and Jay Dilla beats and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And I was asking, I've asked Benny Moppin, I've asked Herbie about that when he started doing that. What was the, what was the, um, how did people receive it? And he was like, a lot of times people threw bottles and cans at the stage. You know what I mean? Like, what is this? This isn't jazz, you know? Boom, 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 boom. And that record's, uh, I mean, Headhunters is so ahead of its time. It's, it's such an amazing record. But just, just and that, that speaks to what I was saying earlier, just about um, the fearlessness of Herbie to go and do that. Headhunters is just, to me, it's like this hip Herbie, you know, I think it's just, he's so, he's so funky, you know, he's so like, Chameleon is a track that I heard so much when I was working in um, 
in my jazz and soul club, you know, I remember I would always pray that the DJ would play the whole song, you know, if you got to get the whole song, you would just be like, you know, we've gone from one mood to another mood completely. And I'd be cleaning my glasses and just sometimes the DJ would leave the DJ booth so that they could like, I don't know, use a bathroom even. You'd be like, oh, thank goodness. I'm glad he's gone so I can hear the whole of this track. And I'd just be like, this is such a trip. You know, I, I love when music takes you on a journey and, and you start in a certain place and you, and you wind up somewhere completely different. And that, that's what I really feel about spe- specifically Chameleon. You know, it starts so funky and then it gets so loose and it's so expansive. I... Um, I, I appreciate that about Herbie's work. I just, it's, it's very, it's pioneering and it's challenging and it's, um, you know, people sometimes talk about Herbie and say, you know, what's inspiring about Herbie. But I think you almost, if you're a musician, especially me, and I don't regard myself as a jazz musician, so I don't have that technicality. You know, I don't imagine I'm in some kind of, race with Herbie and I kind of admire him as like the light from a distant star and I kind of appreciate him from that distance but but the demonstration of freedom and inspiration and just yeah just hipness and self-confidence and and individuality is something that I think any musician you know a punk musician could, could learn from. I don't remember thinking about goals. You know, we we just wanted to create some serious jazz, you know, and 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 throw down, so to speak. In other words, you know, make the best music that we we could, and 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 pour our hearts out into the energy of the music and, and the musicianship was so astounding and so superior. I mean, look at the people I was playing with. Wayne Shorter, Freddie Hubbard, Ron Carter, Tony Williams. Doesn't get better than that. So it was a joy every night. And every night I, I was praying and hoping I, I could keep up with those guys because they would demons right <laughs> giants in jazz and and uh they were they were like the, the real shakers and movers of the music at that time i'll never forget live under the sky because we were in japan uh in tokyo it was pouring down rain in buckets, in barrels, in vats. And the audience was so together and they were like a team <laughs> uh, fighting the elements. Like, you're not gonna get us. And we went out and Everybody felt strong. Everybody in the band felt strong. 
during that time. Uh, strong for those concerts. And the music came out in buckets. I, I remember everything was working. The band was f on fire. That I remember. And the audience continued to stoke the flames. They just gave us more and, and more of their support. It, it just really helped to inspire the music. And that's it for this episode of EMP Anthology, the story of Herbie Hancock. This season of the podcast is hosted by Toure. It's executive produced and scripted by Andrew Winnestorfer. It's produced by Ben Patterson and Karen and Otis Ratchman. Thank you to Herbie Hancock and all the artists who checked in from their couches via Zoom for this podcast. And remember, listen to more Mwandishi.